There are a lot of different points in our history that changed our country as we know it. And 9-11 is in that mix. It put us on a different path. But the most important thing that it showed us is that as Americans, we come together in times of strife. No 9-11 date should ever pass without Americans coming together and remembering why we have all the freedoms that we have. What we would really like to see happen this year on September 11th is for people to come out and join Carry the Load and the National Cemetery Administration cleaning the headstones of all these great heroes out here to show the families that the death of their loved one matter. Join an existing team at the local cemetery near you. If there's not one, we would ask that you start your own. Help us clean the headstones of our heroes. Let's make sure that we give them all the due respect that they deserve. August 21st, 2019, Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Tried something different this week. The gentleman you just heard in the commercial at the top of the show will be our guest in two weeks' time. He is Marine Corps veteran Todd Boating who is a board member of Carry the Load. And he's going to go into depth about that 9-11 partnership between the VA's National Cemetery Administration and Carry the Load. Can't wait to bring you that one. Hope everyone had a good week outside of podcast land. Let me tell you what. I'm excited for you to listen to this week's guest. It's a good one. We also have some pretty good news coming out of the VA this week. But first, I mentioned last week about the video on the Marine Navajo Code Talker, Thomas Begay. It's currently floating around on VA social media channels. Uh, I just want to thank you for contributing to the overwhelming, overwhelming engagement on that video. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should. Thomas Begay is one of only five living Navajo code talkers left. He was an Iwo Jima survivor, and it's a pretty moving story. All right, two new reviews this week. This one from, it's either Oki... MOS veteran underscore 74 or OK emos veteran underscore 74. I'm guessing from 74, probably not emo. Anyways, he said, looking forward to more of your podcast. OK MOS veteran 74. I'm guessing that you are a new listener. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more podcasts. And then one more, it's uh, it's like a combined one. It's from LT slash C-A-P-T. Listening to your podcast while eating our delicious Wednesday breakfast leaves us well-nourished and well-informed. My husband and I are both veterans of the Vietnam era. We met at the officer's club in Fort Sam Houston. He was a short-timer, and I was in basic training for the Army Nurse Corps. We have just recently started utilizing some of the VA services and appreciate your interviews. Thank you, and keep up the good work. P.S. My husband does the cooking. Well, LT Captain, I'm guessing that is the good captain that wrote that. To both of you, thank you for your service. And to the captain, well, I'm glad that you have an LT to do your cooking because I am not the cook in my household. I grill, but uh, I, I really cannot cook anywhere close to what my wife does. 
and thank you for tuning in. So with those two reviews, we are up to 95 ratings and reviews. Ladies and gentlemen, we are five, five, five away from listening to that bonus episode of Air Force veteran Adrian Cronauer of Good Morning Vietnam fame interviewing the legendary comedian, producer, actor, Mel Brooks. It's a funny story. It's a great interview. Uh, it's never been released ever before. And uh, man, uh, we keep this up. Another episode or two, you will finally, 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 after five months, get that interview. We have a couple news releases this week. And I saw a unique story this week about the National Cemetery Administration. So I wanted to share it. So let's start with that. So this story comes from the WIVB News Channel 4 out of Buffalo, and I think they're a CBS affiliate. It says, Senator Chuck Schumer announced on Friday that $23 million has been secured to create a new cemetery for local veterans. Global Urban Enterprise was awarded the $23 million in federal funds from the Department of Veterans Affairs. This company will partner with Syracuse's Hubert Brewer Construction and a number of subcontractors to create the cemetery. Now that the money is there, the company will begin working on the first phase of what will be the Western New York National Veterans Cemetery located in Genesee County. In early 2018, the VA acquired two 60-acre and 77-acre land parcels in Pembroke. Currently, the closest veteran cemetery is in Steuben County. I don't know how far away Genesee is from Steuben. I'm assuming that's pretty far. The first phase of construction for this new cemetery will include 4,000 grave sites, roughly 2,500 for caskets, and another 1,500 for cremated remains. The first burials at the cemetery are expected to take place by next November or December. All right, and let's get to what the VA has released this week. A couple pretty cool stories. Uh, this one says, for immediate release, VA releases Launchpad app to streamline healthcare access for veterans and caregivers. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently launched a new mobile application designed to save veterans and their caregivers time online. The VA Launchpad for Veterans simplifies and organizes several existing tools and, resource, and resources into one convenient location to help manage healthcare needs. Got a, uh, a quote from the secretary, and then it says, The VA Launchpad arranges all of the VA apps into five categories for veterans. Health management, healthcare team communication, vital health information sharing, mental health improvement, and quality of life improvement. The new app enables veterans to access all the features with a single secure login. The app also includes many mental health care and personal improvement tools for individuals who are not enrolled in VA healthcare services. These tools are free and do not require secure logins to use. So there's a couple uh, tools within the app that even if you're not a VA, that's pretty cool. The VA Launchpad for Veterans is available for download in the App Store and Google Play. To access VA secure apps within the VA Launchpad, users must be a VA patient and have one of the following accounts. The Premium My Healthy Vet, the DS Logon Level 2, or the ID Period Me, based on whenever you signed up for your healthcare. All right, and the last one is pretty near and dear to my heart, and I'll tell you why after I'm done reading the reading the press release. It says, for immediate release, Operation Song continues mission of telling stories through music. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced today it is expanding its partnership with the nonprofit Operation Song to launch a series of songwriting retreats aimed at helping veterans share and cope with military experiences through music. 
Operation Song will host 10 veterans for a three-day weekend retreat in Nashville, Tennessee from August 15th through 17th. So it's actually going on right now. The first Operation Song was last week. It was held from August 15th through the 17th. Founded by Grammy and Dove Award-nominated songwriter Bob Regan, Operation Song's first three-day music retreat in partnership with the VA was held in November of 2018, and I was actually there for that one. During that event, professional songwriters and VA therapists worked with veterans to write and record songs. The Nashville-based organization has worked with hundreds of veterans from nearly every military conflict to tell their sometimes challenging stories through music. While a background in music is not necessary to participate, interested veterans must be referred by their VA healthcare provider, be able to function independently, and willing to travel to the retreat location. The program is offered at no cost to veteran participants. VA's Voluntary Service, the Veterans Canteen Service, and the Recreation Therapy Service collaborate with Operation Song to coordinate these events. This year's program will be fully funded through the generous support of the Veterans Canteen Service. Those, uh, those like those PX like places at VA hospitals. However, VA encourages donations and sponsorships from organizations and individuals who would like this type of programming to reach as many veterans as possible. To volunteer or donate, visit www.volunteer.va.gov forward slash apps, A-P-P-S forward slash volunteer now, all one word, forward slash default dot asp for more information about operation song visit www.operationsong.org to read stories from the 2018 retreat you can visit our blog at blog.va.gov at blogs.va.gov i'm really excited to talk about operation song because that retreat back in November of 2018 was the first thing I had ever done for the VA as a vi- from a video producer standpoint. Uh, we went out there with the entire team, filmed the entire process, uh, and it's led, again, by Bob Regan, who had written for who's who in country music, Tanya Tucker, uh, Reba McIntyre, Keith Urban, uh, you name it. And he had songwriters that were like number one hit songwriters writing for these veterans, writing whatever the, what these veterans wanted to say, whatever these veterans wanted to get out. And it was a very, very, very emotional thing to see, especially as the first thing that I'm exposed to from an employee standpoint at the VA, you know, as, as what they're trying to support. And we filmed the entire process from the time that the veterans get paired up with the songwriters they go down to the music row in Nashville and they write a song for that veteran. Whatever the veteran wants to get out, they write a song for that veteran. The very next day, they'll go back to Sony Music Recording Studio and record the song for that veteran with a full band. And then that evening, they'll have a concert where they play that song and then they give that song to that veteran so they can have it whenever they want to listen to it. It's their story. It was amazing. I just, I can't put it into words how amazing it was to watch that, that whole process. And I was, I am very excited to, I haven't talked about this because I want to finish it. I wanted to finish it. I want to have a plan, a release plan. And then I want to promote it here on the Born the Battle. I do have a plan that will lead me to finish that before the year is out. And when that happens, I will promote it on the Born the Battle. I can't wait for you to watch it. It's 
it's a couple of amazing journeys and I cannot wait to release it. I just need the time. I'm a I'm a one-man band right now. All right, so this week's guest is an Army veteran and a Flint, Michigan native. He has started businesses, even though he didn't know that's exactly what he was doing, since he was a kid in middle school, maybe younger. He continued to create businesses during his service, and today he is the CEO of the Military Influencer Conference, an annual conference that is a committee of entrepreneurs, creatives, executives, and leaders who are connected to the military community. Oh, and by the way, the 2019 conference, at the time of this episode drop, it is less than a month away. So let's learn about it and the man that leads it. He is Army veteran, Curtez Riggs. Enjoy. Curtez, it was hard, really hard to do a lot of research on you beforehand. Um, <laughs> where did you grow up? So uh, I'm, I'm from a little place called Flint, Michigan. Um, I graduated way back in 1997. So I left the Army in February 97 to begin this journey um, of service that has been absolutely life changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, Flint, I think I've heard of that town. Think of uh, <laughs> yeah, you probably heard about the water or somebody else talking about the crime or something along those lines. But, yeah. you know, that was my upbringing. And besides myself, uh, one uncle and I think a cousin, my entire family still lives in that environment. So the military, oh, wow. you know, uh, truly saved me from, a, a, let's just say, a very interesting life. In what way? Um, so, so when, when I was in high school, I would say, um, of course the year won't be exactly right. So I graduated in February 97 and then immediately shipped off to training in February. But as I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, you know, that was right around the time that NAFTA had got firmed up and my town, my city, there was a population of about 160,000 people. And so the thought process for us was like, Hey, look, you know, we graduate from high school and we have basically a guaranteed job in the auto industry. So, yeah. you know, Flint's nickname was Buick City. So all the automotive plants were up in that area. So literally, my, I had a family of service in the auto industry. Think about that for a minute. My grandfather worked in the auto industry. He sat and, you know, he, he, uh, he did the same job for eight hours every single day. Now, my uncles, they did the same thing. These are my great uncles, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're in their mid to late 60s now. They did the exact same job for their entire careers. My uncles, okay, my mother's brothers, two of them went into the auto industry. So it was expected for us, my generation, right? So when I graduated high school, I'm jumping into the auto industry. Well, yeah. NAFTA happened and then the jobs started to disappear. And so that left an economy that had been built around, you know, the auto and then the manufacturing industry in a situation where there are minimal opportunities now. And I have never been the type of individual to desire college. Um, yes, education is important, but I believe to me specifically, what's more important than an education is a valid and relevant skill set, right? Um, so at the time, being a 17-year-old kid, I was presented with an opportunity to join the military. I met my recruiter. His name is Sergeant Major Retired Troy Brown. Um, we're still good friends to the day, um, but awesome. he was making a difference in, in my high school. He was the type of guy that, you know, most of us grew up in single parent homes. We didn't have an active father in our lives. And to a certain extent, when I met him, I'm not going to say he played a fatherly role, but I would say that the things that I was looking for from a leader, um, he introduced those components to me. So he was a mentor. 
he was a mentor for me. Right. Great, great point. You know, um, he didn't give me the hard pitch like, you know, hey, look, join the military because there's nothing here. But he was able to help me see that there were opportunities about there above and beyond what's to my left and right. So, you know, being in high school, being in that age at that time in my life, my opportunities were to um, follow the path of the street. Um, and obviously we know that that wouldn't have been a, a very productive way for me to live. Right. Yeah. Um, it was to, you know, go to school. And at that time in my life, I was glad to graduate from high school. I wasn't mentally ready or prepared to go off to college. And sure. then he made the he gave me that third option, which, of course, is to join the military. And for me at that point in my life, it was very viable for me. So yeah. I, I turned 18 uh, on December 3rd of 1996. My mother refused refused to sign parental consent. So I had to wait to my 18th birthday. And on December 4th, I ended up joining the army. Um, and so I, my mind was made up. I'm ready to leave. I'm tired of being here. I'm ready to be my own person and figure out whatever my next steps are. And so I graduated high school um, a semester early in January. And by February 12th, I was at Fort Knox, Kentucky doing left, right, left with a bunch of other people, you know, that, that I didn't know. So yeah. um, that was that's that's my my foundational story, I guess you could say, on, you know, why I joined the military. And it was primarily to escape, you know, the community that I had grown up in. I think a lot I think a lot of people do. They, they, they're searching for something outside of their community when they join. I think that's what one thing that connects all veterans and all military personnel together. Uh, you're, yeah. you're all thrown in, you're all thrown into one room and you learn as you go. Absolutely. So it was so for you, it was either street school or military. and You chose military. I chose the military. I have too many other relatives that are in the streets. College just wasn't my thing. My mother was the first person in my entire family to, to actually graduate from college. So my mother's a pathologist. Uh, my son or excuse me, my, uh, my brother is in the process of completing his doctorate. Um, awesome. And I'm just the typical high school grad that served his entire life in the military. So um, that, that's how I like to think of it. So after that, you joined uh, the 82nd Airborne uh, and then you became a career recruiter. But You've, you, it seemed like in your career, if I'm looking on your on your LinkedIn there, you've always had some some sort of side gig. Um, can you clue the listeners in on some of the businesses that you started or examples of how you got yourself involved in the local communities while you were still in? So I'm going to take it back to Flint, Michigan again. Growing up in an environment where you didn't have a lot, um, you yes, have uh, a single family income. I was the type of kid that would spend my Saturday mornings um, traveling behind or going to the peace places where people congregate, you know, whether it's the big parks, they take their bottles and they throw them out into the trash. I was yeah. that kid that was that was picking up bottles and, and taking them to a grocery store. So up in Michigan, you had um, like a, a bottle and can deposit. Right. So if you uh, turned in the bottle, you would get 10 cents um, for turning that into a grocery store. So every Saturday and Sunday, I would get on my bike with a big bag on my back and I would travel around local places where people congregated, just kind of like doing a police call um, with the intention of making a little bit of extra money. So that yeah. was my very first, you know, side hustle from there. At the age of 14, I started to work at a community center. Um, I ended up getting a, a job at kind of like a, a drafting company, learning how to draft way back in the day and use AutoCAD. So when uh, we transition and move forward a little bit, we start talking about the military. I have always had an entrepreneurial mindset. I wanted to figure out, hey, look, you know, um, following orders is great. The military provides us a great quality of life, but I want just a little bit more. Right. So yeah. uh, I'll just start at 2010 um, in 20, 2009. I went through a very nasty divorce. 
I was left with, um, let's just say nothing. I think um, <laughs> when everything was, was said and done, my credit score was like a 438. Um, think about that for a minute, right? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't yeah. rent an apartment, brother. Um, life was awkward. And I'm a staff sergeant in the army. Credit is in the garbage. So I went through this process of learning how to sort of self-repair or fix my credit. And yes, it required a lot of tedious letter writing, removing the things and kind of like separating uh, myself from from my ex at the time. You know, so yeah. um, there were some things that weren't exactly mine. But, you know, I had to go through this process of fixing my credit, my, my, restoring my credit. And it took about six months to get this done. So I go from a 430 to right around a 620 and I'm jumping up and down, right? I'm excited. I'm happy. If I could do this for myself, I can do it for somebody else now. So the first company while in service that I launched was a company called Stepping Stones Credit Solutions. And the gimmick was basically, hey, look, you pay me $25 a month and I'll help you fix your credit. Not knowing anything about business at the time. So I have five or six clients around um, that I'm doing different things for. But the demand that the clients were putting on me was too rigorous. It was too much to justify the money that they were spending. Sure. Um, so let's, let's just say my first venture didn't go very far. Um, but you but learned. You had yeah. to, you had to, you learned something from it. I, I learned a little bit. So and, <laughs> and resources. <laughs> yeah. And time, the value of your the true value of your time. So from there, you know, um, there were some other skill sets that I developed. And one that was important for me was WordPress. And WordPress is a content management system that most people in the digital space use to actually build their websites. Right. Yep. Yeah, um, we use it uh, with the VA at blogs.va.gov. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So WordPress is the system and I learned how to sort of manipulate it, self-taught. And I got to a point where I could comfortably build my own websites. So this was right around the time that, um, you know, you had the, the coming of age of bloggers. People are starting to spend more time writing and crafting content to kind of like tell their stories. So I'm like, OK, you know, I like this. I plan on getting out of the army around 15 years. Let me talk about my story as I prepare to transition. So yeah. I'm starting this blog and it just so happens one day that, you know, I'm talking about credit. Like, you know, how did, how did I went, how I went through this process of restoring my credit? I made a, uh, a sort of a, a blog post on it and I published it on the internet and I'm looking at a guy that left a comment. I clicked through his site and I see this banner and it was for this uh, company called myfico.com. So I shoot him an email and I'm like, hey guy, you know, um, you, how did you get this picture of myfico.com on your website? And his response to me was that it's affiliate marketing, you idiot. That was his exact response to me. <laughs> um, and to him, I can only imagine it seemed like the most dumbest question in the world, but I was completely ignorant about how, how, how commerce happens on the internet. Sure. So, you know, um, I, I'm on a website. If I click a link and I'm redirected to Amazon, Amazon will then compensate the website owner that referred that traffic over to them. But this concept that I was introduced to kind of like opened up an entire door for me. So we start to transition around 2011, 2012. I'm starting to build up websites. Um, we get to a point in time where, well, well I'm sorry, what branch were you? Marine. All right. So Marines are a little bit different, but Army, we tend to care about Absolutely. how we look in uniform, right? Ah, um, funny, funny. Yeah. So <laughs> so with this, we have this concept called authorized boots. These are the type of boots that you can that you can wear that are in compliance uh, with the uh, with AR 670-1. 
So we yeah. had a Sergeant Major of the Army who's tripping on what boots we can wear, but there was no firm guidance on what was authorized or why wasn't it above and beyond the regulation. Now, you might think that the regulation tells you everything that you need to know, but it's one thing to, to read something. It's another thing to be able to um, really visualize what that regulation is talking about before you go make a boot purchase. Um, so what I ended up doing, I built a, a static or excuse me, an e-commerce site that listed every single boot that was available for available for purchase for soldiers. And I gave them a green check mark if these boots were good. They were compliant with the regulation and they got there was other ones that had a red check mark if they didn't meet the requirements that the regulation posed. So I built up this site. It started to get traffic and it went on fire because there was no other source out there with this type of information. Sure. So what I ended up doing was um, not knowing any better. I received an offer or an offer from a boot manufacturer and they actually stepped in and bought the entire content management system, the website and everything else from me from me. So I sold this website and I never even saw it coming. But by going through this process, I learned that once again, digital products are, at, are an actual commodity that people yeah. will buy and they'll also sell. So the next step, I had a little bit of money in my thrift savings account. I bought a, another website. Uh, instead of building it from the ground up and growing through all those growing pains, I acquired a website and this website was called the military guide. Um, it's still out there. The, uh, the, the writer of the site is Doug, Doug Nortman. Um, he is a, uh, a very successful person that retired early and is living an incredibly comfortable life, not having to work. Literally he's one of those self-made millionaire types, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, um, I learned a lot from him and he taught me a little bit more about managing my money, thinking long term. And then I started to buy more and more websites. And the thing with that, for every website that we would buy, let's say we put $10,000 into a site, that site is generating a sustained amount of revenue every single month. So what we would then do is once we had the site is generating a sustained amount of revenue every single month, we would produce um, better content and drive more traffic to it. And in time, that site would then make more revenue. Once it got to a certain threshold, we would then sell it and kind of like rinse and repeat and start the process all over again. I did that for the better part of four years while serving. Uh, oh, you're still in. Yeah, I'm still in. Climbing the enlisted ranks, I didn't sleep much, so I would go to my job at the recruiting station, um, you know, stand on a desk, convince some young American to join the military, and then at night, I would go back into my little dungeon and I would continue working on this business. So, you know, I got to a point where I had a, a little empire of websites. I had 43 total. Um, people are now interested in learning more about me. I found a connection with USAA and USAA brought me in as an influencer. And all that means is basically they taught me how to tell their story. Right. Um, so now I'm, a, I'm an influencer. We get together in San Antonio once a year and USAA would teach us, you know, different things that we need to know about digital marketing, digital media and other things along those lines. Lines. So they were working on my skill set. But the problem was it was USAA every single year. Now, I love USAA to death and I owe them so much, you know, sure. um, you know, uh, for, for different things that they've done in my career for me personally on a financial level and also helping me to grow as an entrepreneur. So we would come to this event every single year and around 2015, 2016, I say, hey, look, you know, uh, guys, this is great, but we got a problem, right? Um, Every year we hear about USAA. What if we brought in other brands and kind of like, you know, spread this out a little bit? 
Well, my contact at USAA says basically, you know, it sounds good. Figure out how to do it and let's talk about it. So, you know, um, being sort of an entrepreneur and having this hustle type of mindset, I started working on a plan to pitch USAA on this concept that I wanted to do. And basically this concept has now grown to be one of the largest um, influencer and entrepreneurship conferences in the military space. So, you know, yeah, uh, it's the military influencer conference you got got coming up. Yeah. So. Right. You retired recently in 2018. So this was all while you were doing, you were still, and this was all in development in like years before the first one, which was in 2016, right? So the first conference was in 2017 and I literally built that conference and everything else that supported it while I was serving um, in the military. So this was the, this was the, your entire preparation for your transition. This, this had, was I mean, my this transition. Yeah. Um, this was and part it, of it. You know, I, I never I never thought that um, the, the conference would gain the traction that it has for the community. However, sure. you know, um, from a transition standpoint, I recognize very early on that um, all of us as service members, we have a um, I, I'm, I was about to say life expectancy, but that's not the right use of the word. Right. Um, that's not the right word to use. It's we all have um, sort of a time limit that we're, we're most effective. And I knew that because of my desire um, to do my my own thing that once I, you know, kind of made first arm, uh, I went through two years of that and I'm looking at what my next steps were. I wasn't ready to continue committing another three to five years to the military, or to the army, just to continue climbing the ladder. Um, I think and, everybody knows. I think everybody knows when their time is done, you know? Yeah. And I knew it. The writing was on a wall. You know, I kind of like had had lost that taste and I was yeah. hungry for something else now. And that that hunger was, you know, driving me to set myself up for success post-military. Absolutely. Um, so you've gone through this entire evolution to create this conference and, you know, your partnership with USAA and, this, and, and everything mm-hmm. has helped you set up for your transition. Uh, so far, what has been the biggest challenge in that transition? Um, so, so I'm, I'm going to say time, and this is what I mean by that, right? Um, having the time to actually transition was not as easy as I thought it would be. So planning for my transition was easy knowing that, you know, two years out, I need to start the ACAP process, right? Um, at 18 months, I need to do this at 12 months. I need to know where I'm going to move back to and all that lining it up was easy, but when yeah. you still have a mission on your back, um, whether it's to, you know, uh, drive a truck, put somebody in boots, you know, or, or go on a deployment, whatever that may be, it's very hard to dedicate the time to execute the things that you need to do to transition. And I Absolutely. think that is a major problem within the ranks of the military. I mean, you look at a young E4 or young E5, young E6 that makes the decision to leave the military and they are in a understrength unit. Right. Um, This guy has six months until he is separating or this gal guy or gal is choosing to separate from the military in six months. The unit is short. There's a mission to be accomplished. Right. Do you actually Mm -hmm. think that individual is going to be given the time they need to take care of themselves when the army or the the military's nonstop mission is still moving along? I, I think we all know the answer to that question. <laughs> we've all we've all run into a, a sergeant major or a first sergeant that has that question for you. Yeah, or has that answer for you. Yep, get back to work. You know, um, <laughs> you're on my books. Whatever the term that they're using to justify that you can't take care of yourself, 
at its core is a problem. And I think that if there's a way for us to solve that problem, give a transitioning service member the time to transition, not just talk about doing it, but literally when you make up your mind to retire or to separate, there's a period of time where you are taken off the books and placed into a a special unit, like, you know, um, the, the warrior fitness unit, something similar to that, where you're purpose in the military is to prepare for transition not you're still being on the books at your unit but you're reassigned to you know um just like when we first came in we had a reception battalion well maybe there's a separation battalion where you are required to um uh, belong to so you can focus on your separation so that's my two cents and i can get incredibly opinionated about that but the way things are set up right now we're going to continue having the same problems where service members are leaving unequipped and unprepared for life after the military and that's a big problem that we have to solve absolutely i think i think there's a a lot of ways the dod uh can can look into better preparing uh soon to be veterans for transition Mm -hmm. um but I was talking to Danny Chung uh, from Microsoft. He's the director of military programs at Microsoft. And I asked him the question, you know, have you truly, he doesn't feel that he's truly fully transitioned even 15 mm. years later. You know, do you, do you, do you feel like veterans, do they ever really fully transition into being a civilian? Oh, um, if they do, I, I, I don't know, because, you know, for me specifically, I, I still have the, the mindset of someone that's still performing a military mission. I yeah. have not completely decompressed. And even, you know, on, on the home front, I promised my wife that, hey, look, before I start anything new, um, I'll wait a year. Right. Um, I'm going to give a year to the family to play catch up from all the time, you know, that I was focused on the military's priorities and not necessarily the priorities of my home. But no, um, I I don't know when that process is is complete. I don't know what the timeline is to really say that you've transitioned. I'm still under the two year window myself. And, um, you know, there's so many things that I have still yet to do because, you know, I'm, I'm just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just thought that was an interesting way of putting it, um, putting it there that that he put it there. So yeah, that's in the archives if any of our, our listeners want to hear it. It's Danny Chung, Danny Chung's episode. Um, Curtis, what's the mission of the Military Influencer Conference? Easy. So, um, just to just add a little bit of of background, um, the Military Influencer Conference is a three-day event and our main focus or our mission is to connect entrepreneurs, business executives, and brands with the influential leaders who shape and support the military community. So our mission is to bring the community together to find unique ways to collaborate. Um, That could be a a nonprofit founder, someone that launched a nonprofit to, 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 to execute a specific mission, connecting them with a larger organization with the actual budget. Um, to execute that mission for them, right? So we bring individuals like that together to create unique ways for them to collaborate. Um, That's our mission and that's what we execute every single year that we host the event. Got you. Uh, You know, let me know if I'm on, I'm off base here, but when, you know, when I thought, think of a conference like that, a business type of conference, I usually see it as like an addendum or an additional thing brought together by like a community government with lots of partners from a particular industry. How did you turn that, how did you turn that into a business model? 
So to start, I looked at, you know, to, to, to begin a business, first thing that you got to be aware of is your competition, who stands to your left and right. That's kind of like in a similar space, trying to do the same thing. Sure. And so, you know, as I'm looking out there, there are a lot of great programs, but you know, they, they're, they're, they're kind of the, the setup is, you know, you have a, you have a talking head, you have someone that's on a stage, they're talking, they step down, they walk out the door. There's no mentorship. There's no practical application. There's minimal follow-up. And so when I started this process, you know, I was looking for a way that, you know, how can I kind of like disrupt the military conference model? Right. Yeah, so yeah. you either have. And, and, it's, and it's usually put on by some chamber of Congress. It's not usually put on by like a private enterprise. No. And, and so I'm in a I'm in a rare case here. I'm a, my business, I'm a for profit entity and my entity's entire purpose is to create unique activations for the military veteran and spouse community. And in this instance, it's it's a conference, the military influencer conference from this year. There will be two other conferences that launch that continues to focus on unique segments of our community that are underserved, that need access to information and connections that I have kind of like developed a way. Um, to cultivate. So, you know, I'm through a your own network, right? Through, through my your own, own network. network, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a connector of sorts. So um, I, I was a nobody three years ago. And I would still say the reason you couldn't find much about me is because I, I prefer that, right? I prefer to be kind of like off <laughs> sure. the radar. Sure. Um, so w- when I when I look at this, if if you have a, a, a service member that wants to start a business, how does that service member start a business in an environment that they're used to? There's nothing out there that exists like that. Yeah. So you have great organizations that like, like, you know, Bunker Labs, you have what IVMF does, but it's kind of like set up for somebody that's that's getting ready to leave the military within that, you know, um, um, six months to eight, 18 month window there. They're, they have that type of outlook. Well, we want to curate these conversations a little earlier on. We want to help, you know, that transitioning service member or that service member that wants to do a career kind of like understand what their left and right limits are earlier on so they can start to project that growth and start effectively planning forward. So my business model came from my own needs trying to transition into an entrepreneur. I know how to hustle. I know how to make money. I don't know how to run a business. Well, how do I run a business? I need to look to my left and right. And I found people like Dan Alaric, you know, um, uh, uh, the founder, you know, of Grunt Style. Um, and I found other veteran entrepreneurs that are out there that had done what I was trying to do. And I leveraged what I had being this foundational conference to bring them in the door. And through that, now I have long and life lasting relationships with them where they continue to mentor and empower me so I can continue growing this brand. Because I'll be honest, I still don't know what I'm doing. I come to my office up there <laughs> every single day and I have a, a plan of what I plan to execute. And I have my list of weaknesses sitting off to my right. And I keep them there for the whole purpose of being able to remember that if I'm weak in this thing, I got to find somebody else to support me in that. You know, yeah. I have to find somebody to my left or right who's willing to walk alongside me to either educate me or take that off my plate and let them focus on. So, you know, a combination of things has allowed me to create this into a relevant business model. And, you know, it's a paid event. And I catch a lot of flack about that because us as veterans, we have this mentality that everything or some of us have the mentality that everything for us should be gifted or it should be free. But, you know, it costs me a significant personal investment to get to where I'm at, to the point that I'm at now. Yes, USAA was my first sponsor, but they paid less than a tenth of the cost to execute the first event. 
Yes, I had other sponsors, but my credit score was on the line. My credit cards were on the line when I got to that point. So yeah. now that I'm not a chamber of commerce, I'm not a government entity, I'm not you know a, a major school or organization, every single year that we plan this, it's with the expectation that if you want to be there, if you want to learn, if you want to grow your brand or business, there's, there's a cost. Either it's a cost of your time that you're going to donate by volunteering for us, or you have to buy a ticket just like every other great American in order to go to an event to learn how to improve themselves. That's my thought process on that. I admire the entrepreneurial spirit. So you mentioned mentors outside when you, when you got out of the military. Uh, who were some of your mentors while you were still in? Um, mentors while I was in, um, that's a hard one, bro. Um, so if I, if I, if I take it back to my relationship with, with USAA, there were a couple of people at that organization who would gift their time. So one was, uh, uh, Michael Kelly. Um, he is a phenomenal individual, phenomenal organizer, and also leader inside the ranks at USAA. Um, he was a mentor to me as I started to, um, develop this plan to transition and launch this conference or continue to grow it. Doug Nordman, I mentioned him earlier, um, yeah. from a mentor standpoint, you know, he, he taught me a lot of core things that I needed to know about setting myself up financially financially um, for, you know, what happens when you transition. And that was like one of the most important lessons for me. Um, from, from the time I was 18, I never had to worry about where I was staying, what I was eating or where my money came from. Yeah. So I put my retirement paperwork in. I have this window now where there's a there's kind of an expiration date now. You know, I know that on 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 April 1st, I'm getting my last paycheck from the active army and I have to wait to the retirement paperwork catch up to receive, you know, um, what my retirement was. So when you go from being a senior enlisted all the bells and whistles and I have a salary of close to $90,000 a year. And that drops almost by, you know, uh, down to, to $24,000 a year in retirement. Yeah. Um, that's a lot to consider. And so he really it's a lot taught to plan me for. there's a lot to plan for. Um, and there's a lot of sacrifices that I had to make to make sure that when I left the military, I could continue focusing on my venture and I didn't have to worry about getting a job. So, you know, it required me to like downsize, downsize the type of vehicle I had. I had to make those sacrifices so that I'm prepared, you know, so, um, you know, Absolutely. downsizing the vehicle, you start eating out less, you start adjusting how you dress as an example, at least this was me in preparation for this to lead up. So I knew that when I left the military, my income is going to drop substantially. And then therefore I needed to get used to operating on that income. Now, I also have the added value value of my wife has a great job. But when I look at what I bring to the table, what I also took from the table, it all needed to sit underneath that same hat. And, you know, talking to Doug, he kind of like educated me on how to prepare myself for that financial. How to do all this. Yep. Got um, you. So Got even you. now, you know, uh, my retirement income is like my retirement and disability, I should say, is is my only income that I use to support my household above and beyond what my wife brings in. And yeah. that's the mindset that I'll continue to have. And as an entrepreneur and every single thing that I launch or I do and execute, I raise money to support that entity so that entity can continue to stand on its own and we can continue to scale and grow. Um, I don't I don't take a salary from anything that I'm doing on the side because my focus is to continue growing my brands. 
So those are two mentors that I've had over the years. But at, for anybody listening, I don't care who it is. You have to find someone that um, can, can, can help you figure out your next steps in transition. Just don't try to do it all alone. There are thousands of us out here that have successfully went through the process that are willing to reach back and help the next generation of service members transition out into the civilian sector, no matter what you want to do in life. What are some of the things an attendee would experience at the conference? Like, it looks like from a lot of your promotion that I see on LinkedIn that there's certain uh, segments that you like segments that you mentioned that an attendee can follow, right? Is that kind of that's like- correct? That's correct. So um, the, the military influencer conference, it's not a place where people come to connect with a bunch of online influencers, and that's something else that I hear all the time. Yeah. To me. An influencer is nothing more than a leader. So leadership is the process of influencing others to accomplish a mission, given purpose, direction, and motivation. An influencer is a leader. I bring a bunch of leaders together and we figure out how to help the community. So the conference is segmented into different, what we'll call tracks, kind of like learning paths, right? Um, So what we've essentially done is every year we assess our community and we figure out what they need help with. So one of the biggest things that came back for us this year was uh, live content. All right. So I have a business, I have an organization, we want to produce live content. And then what we do is we find relevant people in the space that can educate the audience about that. So as an example, you're a podcaster going live is an actual track that we're having at the conference where we have brought in some some nationally recognized podcasters to educate our community about how to launch a podcast, how to grow it and then how to produce live video content to support it. Gotcha. Um, Another track is content marketing. I don't care what you do. If it's um, something that requires someone else to read and learn about your business or your brand, you need to have some effective form of content marketing and also a social media marketing plan. That's another track that we have at the conference. We have another one that's sponsored by uh, Pentagon uh, Federal Credit Union, um, their foundation, and it's called Founders and Innovators. What we've managed to do is bring in uh, high power founders from across the military community. Uh, Mark Rockefeller from from Street Shares, Jerry Flanagan of, of J-Dog Brands, Todd Connor of Bunker Labs and six or seven others. And they're basically telling their story, inspiring and also mentoring while they're at the, while they're actually there at the conference okay. for our nonprofit leaders. We have a track called Social Impact. Um, one of the challenges that I often see in my circles is that, you know, uh, nonprofit organizations, especially a lot, a lot of the younger ones, they're launched to solve a specific problem um, that the founder has as an individual. And they don't really take the time to look to their left and their right before they launch something. Hey, here's my problem. I or Here's my challenge. I've been out there looking for a solution for it. I can't find it. So I'm going to launch my own thing, kind of like what I did to solve it. But what they lack is the understanding of what it really takes to launch an organization, find the funding that they need, and most importantly, find um, the people that can actually benefit from what they've put together. So, sure. this social or, or make sure that that audience can find them. Yeah, yeah, good point. You know, so on a social impact track sponsored by USAA and hosted by, you know, NAFSO, um, we're bringing in 
Uh, we have six sessions that's going to go for over everything from how to locate grants, how to write grant proposals to another one that's specifically designed to help you meet funders. So think about that for a minute, right? We're bringing funders um, that leave some 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 major organizations um, across our footprint to the to the conference with the whole intent of educating nonprofit leaders on what it really takes to 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 raise funding, sponsorships, or get the grant that they need from their respective organizations. That isn't something that we see very often in our space. And because our organizations, our nonprofit organizations, um, it's like we're, we, we all chase, we're all chasing after the same money, so to speak. It's best for an organization, especially a younger one, to have a better idea of what it takes for them to actually get funding before they ever even step into space and try to start something. Sure. So, and then the last one we have or last two we have is we have a real estate track. And this is primarily for people in our space that are interested in real estate. And we're also launching a specific spouse track called Empower, where we're going to focus on uh, educating the military spouse on entrepreneurship and also remote opportunities for their unique skill sets. So that's Very what good. most people um, get out of the conference. It's track specific. So when someone registers, the idea is that, hey, look, you know, I'm going to choose a track or a learning path um, for the time that they're at the military influencer conference. So we kind of like want to keep people um, within their uh, needs. Uh, or, excuse me. We want to help people find out what their needs are and find a track that's most appropriate for that. And then, you know, we want to follow up with them post conference to see how that material helped them grow in some way, shape or form. See if that's if if they made any connections or or actually made something out of the conference. Got you right. Networking and mentorship. You know, so if someone comes, if they're not networking, they're wasting their time, and they might as well just go sit out of the conference space. <laughs> Absolutely. Talking about network, you're very connected on LinkedIn, and I, I say that I say connected because I think especially with LinkedIn because I think it's about quality over quantity when we talk about followers True. and connections on that platform. What was the biggest factor in the growth of your network? And what what is the value of a highly engaged quality network? The so so for for me personally, it was strategic. Um, um, I'm not an influential person. I, well, when I started this, I wasn't very influential. I have to adjust myself because you know things have changed for me. Sure. Um, I went from not being able to pick up the phone and call someone. Um, you know, randomly to being able to basically, in most cases, reach out to any executive assistant across our footprint and then have direct access to the person that I want to talk to. And that's powerful. So, yeah. you know, from LinkedIn and I'm going to be very candid here. I am not the guy who's on LinkedIn every day posting stuff, sharing my own story. That's not my style. That's not how I use the platform. What I prefer to do is identify influential people who um, I share an interest with that I can connect with, build a relationship with, and then leverage them to tell my story. So how do you start, how do you start getting that connection back when you first started? So when I first started, you have to start small. You look at your touch points, you look at who you have access to right now. And then LinkedIn is set up where you have, you know, your, your connections, a second stage connection, and a, then even a third tier third connection stage. and, you know, third stage, whatever you, whatever it's called. I'm, I'm, I'm it's, it's slipping. Tertiary. Right now. Tertiary. But, you know, yeah. So, so if there's someone that I'm connecting to and like, I'm looking on LinkedIn right now and I see Justine Evers, right. Um, yep. 
phenomenal, you know, veteran doing a lot of great things. And if she has access to someone, it's very simple. I say, hey, I notice you're in touch with Lee Becker. He's this person doing this thing. I want to get to know him, right? How do you think it would be best for me to provide you with a proper introduction so you can connect me with Lee Becker? A lot of people make the mistakes is that they ask for a connection, but then your, your expectation now is for me to turn around and figure out how to facilitate it. Most of us don't have that type of time. So what I've learned very early on is that if I want a connection with somebody and I have to go through you as my connection to reach them, I need to give you everything that you need to facilitate that connection on my behalf. So that may be something as simple as me typing up the exact email that I want you to send, but it's written as if you wrote it. You know, think about that for a minute. It's gotcha. that simple for me to reach through you to talk to somebody that uh, you have access to that I want to get to know. So, you know, when you first open up a LinkedIn account, you're kind of like just clicking people because you like the way they look or that title sounds impressive and there's no substance there. What I can say is that my network, I have a lot of substance because I focused on building the right connections. Now, even when people message me, my first response to them is, hey, look, thank you for connecting. How can I help support your mission? Because I want to know what I can do for them. Um, if not, you're just another name that's sitting on my connection list that I'll never have an interaction with. And to me, that's a waste of time. That's not what the platform should have been built for. It's Absolutely. about connections. But most importantly, I'm on a mission. I want to grow the conferences. And as an entrepreneur, I want to launch new ventures. So my targets are very specific. I'm looking for people that can help me expand my network, make connections for me, or I can find alignment so we can build something together with. I am very specific and you will rarely see me, if anything, post, you know, some some narrative on why people should pay attention to what I've done or, you know, I'm at this location or I got a promotion. Yeah, that's great. It's needed that validation, but it's not the only way to use LinkedIn. If your expectation is just to produce content and the content is going to drive traffic to you, it doesn't always work like that because there's so much content being produced by a lot of phenomenal people that there's just you get saturated with receive reading the same style of stuff every single day. And why and why should they care about you? Why you know? should they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and it's like, you know, if, if that's I harsh, could, but it is the reality. And I mean, we, we have to change the way we do business. We have to, because every single year there are thousands of service members that are leaving the military with this mindset of I'm going to personal brand myself. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk about me. Well, guess what? Nobody cares. And so we leave with this false impression that I'm going to leave the military and I'm going to get this phenomenal job. And let me throw this disclaimer out. I've been out of the military for over a year and I have yet to write a resume yet. I don't even know how to write a resume. So, you know, if you think about who I am and what I've managed to accomplish without all the formal stuff that's being shoved down our throat, I am an advocate of disruption. We have to change the way we're doing things because in most cases, we're producing so many false narratives out there and we're steering our people, our community, our service members, our veterans in the wrong direction because we have a couple of figureheads out in the space that say, hey, look, this is the right way. And then what you have is somebody following. It's not the right way for them. We all have to get our hands dirty and figure out what works for us yeah. so that we can really find out where we want to be. And I'm sorry, I get a little heated about this. Um <laughs> But, you know, my passion. opinion is different. We, yeah, we call, it, we call it passion. You're passionate. Yeah, You're passionate. that works for me. I'm, I'm passionate. Um, 
if, if I, I have a high school diploma and a bachelor's degree from Columbia Southern University that I couldn't buy a bag of popcorn with. Um, I have that degree because somebody a long time ago told me I needed a bachelor's degree to get promoted. Right. So yeah. I went out, I got this bachelor's degree and it's not worth the piece of paper it's written on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in a predicament where um, that most people, most companies won't even take a guy like me seriously because I don't have the right credentials, even though I've managed to build something that, you know, brands struggle to do, you know? So, and it was all because I listened to what somebody else told me I needed to do to be successful. And I never invested the time to figure out what's going to work for me. So, you know, there's too many of us waiting for somebody else to tell us what to do and how to do it instead of really spending the time getting our hands dirty, trying to kind of like figuring out, figuring it out for ourselves. For future for future veteran entrepreneurs, uh, Cortez, what's the biggest challenge to starting a business and how did you navigate through that challenge? So just just starting a business. Um most people think that they need to have everything put together before they start a business. You take, there's two options. You have an idea and to stop yourself self from getting stuck on that idea, you go down to your secretary of state, you stand in line, ask for help on how to complete the documentation you need to start your business, or you pay somebody to help you start your business. Those are your two options. What I see is kind of like entrepreneurial stage fright. I got this idea, but I'm not ready. And then before you know it, it's three years later and they're still talking about, I got this idea, but I'm not ready. What most entrepreneurs fell at or, or suck at is just starting and it's not hard. So if we can help more veterans start businesses and then teach them a lot of the foundational things that they need to grow to grow that business, I yeah. think that entrepreneurship for our community will begin to be a little bit more relevant. Um, Got you. But just get rid of the stage fright. Just launch the business and and learn as you grow. How did you navigate through that first stage fright? That first you know, bit of entrepreneurial stage fright? How did I? Um, simple. I, I needed to do something differently. Okay. I said it. I went through this divorce. I'm paying child support and paying alimony. My military income was no longer enough to sustain the quality of life that I felt I deserved. So I had to do something different. I didn't have an option. It was either, you know, um, it was either, you know, figure out a way to separate from the military, fall short on my, my financial obligations, which I wasn't interested in doing any longer. Sure, sure. So I had to do something different. And the route for me was to launch a business, get it up as soon as possible, and then stay up late, right? Becoming a third shift entrepreneur, as Todd Connor often says from Bunker Labs, you know, I work through the day, but my third shift is my business. And I kept that going until I got to a point where my business became my first shift and the military was no longer relevant for me. Got you. So the next MIC is coming up uh, September 8th through the 10th. Yeah. Uh, is, is, Is this the last one in D.C.? Are you, re- are you relocating or is, is this going to be a traveling conference every year? It's a traveling conference. I want to put it in a fresh region every single year. So I have uh, next year, we're going to be more in a central part of the country. I'll announce it sometime over the next few weeks. Um, but we're looking at the 23rd through the 27th of September. And my mindset for anybody listening is that I want MIC to be the place that people come to. But once they're there, there's four, five, six, or 15 different activities that they can be involved in. So, you know, if we look at some of the larger conferences in the civilian space, 
you have the name of the event, but inside that event, there's so many different things that people can be exposed to. I want MIC to be that space. It's MIC in DC, but at the event, there's 40 different things that a person can participate in. So if your appetite is learning how to how to make blue widgets, well, we have a place for you to learn how to make blue widgets. If you gotcha. want to learn how to be a writer, this is the place you need to come to be a writer. And so, you know, uh, a challenge that we have across our community is we have so many phenomenal events, but in order for someone to really be exposed to what they need to, it's like they have to join a traveling circus. They have to be in DC one month and in San Diego the next month. Then they need to be up towards Chicago and down in San Antonio. I want to create one central location where someone can come to for a week and get everything that they need to be successful um, with the organizations that they run. Got you. Got you. Uh, where can people go for more information? Hit them up. Uh, the website is militaryinfluencer.com or simply just Google military influencer. You'll find out everything that you need to know about the conference. And I'm sure that my name will be in the show notes. If there's anybody out there that have questions um, or looking to, you know, um, leverage my knowledge or skill set, find me on LinkedIn. Just send me a message that makes sense. And, you know, uh, that's written in English. Um, no, just, we'll don't, just, don't just hit the connect button. <laughs> don't just hit the connect button. Um, yeah. You know, and, and and yeah, I mean, I can go on and on about stuff like that. But, you <laughs> I know, know. Yeah, I know you can. <laughs> um, Curtis, what's one skill that you learned in the military that you st- that you apply to what you're doing today? Um, you know, treat everybody with dignity and respect, regardless of their position, rank or authority. Um, that has opened up so many doors for me. Just just treating people like people. You know, I don't care if you you're you're a private who just joined the military um, or someone that spent your entire year in service or in a, in a uniform. Treat everybody with dignity and respect and always be willing to take the time to listen. Absolutely. Um, Curtis, and I know you got a lot of these, but is there a nonprofit or a veteran in the veteran space that you see as a good example based on what they're doing for veterans today? So two organizations that, in my opinion, are doing phenomenal, phenomenal work for our community. One is Bunker Labs. And of course, I'm kind of impartial because I am one of the city leaders for the organization. But changing the outlook um, for veteran entrepreneurs, there is no one else in our space doing the work that Bunker Labs is doing. Um, They are helping service members transition into entrepreneurship. They're also helping military spouses make that same transition. That's powerful. And it, it's it's a national network so that any city I go to, if I want to connect with the entrepreneurship ecosystem, I find a Bunker Labs and they plug me right in. So and, you know, also under that same vein and umbrella is another organization that I'm deeply involved with. It's called uh, Patriot Bootcamp. So Patriot Bootcamp is ran by Jen Pilcher and she's a military spouse. But uh, Patriot Bootcamp's primary focus is on mentorship. So one of our problems launching a business is we lack access to capital and access to the, the the mentors we need to help us scale and grow. Well, Patriot Bootcamp is heavily in that space working to resolve um, some of those complications that founders have when they launch a brand or business. So those are my two. Yeah, those are my two picks. Of course, they're impartial, but I look at the their record and I look at the results that they're having for people in the space that needs their services. I like ones that, that I ask that question with every veteran that, that comes on the show and I I think it's important, especially for ones like Patriot Bootcamp that are kind of under the radar, no one's even really kind of heard about, to kind of mm-hmm. bring them out, kind kind of bring them out to the forefront. So, you know, that's that's really cool. You mentioned that one, Curtis. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked that you think is important to share? 
Uh, no, my friend, I think that's about everything. Um, I've talked a lot longer than I typically do. So I would say that's a plus. And thank you for uh, pulling me out of the closet, so to speak, and helping me to just tell a little bit more about what I've managed to do and what I want to do for our community. Just continue to take action. Don't wait for someone else to help you. Figure it out. Figure out the areas that you need support in and, and actively seek it out. Don't sit stagnant because time flies way too fast. I was able to use the VA home loan two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans and the VA serves as that catalyst with all those resources. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank Curtez for his time. He immediately hooked me when he talked about picking up bottles because I used to pick up cans as a kid. For more information on the 2019 Military Influencer Conference, you can check it out at militaryinfluencer.com. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Air Force and Army veteran Aaron McLyman. Now listen to this story. Aaron was born in Eugene, Oregon, and she enlisted in the Air Force after her high school graduation in 2001. Before her service, Erin had alcohol and drug addiction obstacles during her freshman year, which she overcame and successfully turned her life around. She graduated on time and earned Sheldon High School's Turnaround Achievement Award and immediately joined the Air Force. She was discharged from the Air Force in 2004 and then, and then served in the Oregon National Guard. She then joined the Army in December 2008 and trained to become a wheeled vehicle mechanic. She was then assigned to the 296th Brigade Support Battalion, 3rd Striker Brigade Combat Team, 2nd Infantry Division at Fort Lewis, Washington. Aaron and her unit deployed to support an Operation Iraqi Freedom in August of 2009 to Ford Operating Base Warhorse. During her leave, she had an accident that caused a neck injury and was reassigned to the rear detachment. And she asked to be medically cleared to be redeployed in February of 2009. In March 2009, one month later, Aaron was assigned to the 1st Squadron, 14th Cavalry Regiment, 3-2 SBCT, to participate in a rotating female search team assignment that involved alternating every three days between the checkpoints and combat outpost Cobra. Aaron died March 13th after being wounded by an enemy forces mortar attack while walking to dinner from the base dining facility. The renovated facility was named Private First Class Aaron McLyman Dining Facility in her honor on April 3rd, 2009. We honor her service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, Check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you right here next week.